1: Hi, and welcome back to How I Got Greenlit. This is our final episode of Season 2, and we have a lot of people that we want to thank. First of all, thank you for playing along and listening and bringing us up a notch because we know you're out there and we want to make sure we do good by you. It takes a lot of people to make this show, and uh, I guess without further ado, I'd like to thank my partner, Ryan Gibson. I'd like to thank our producer, Peter Musto. Our uh, co-producer, Adrian Dunstan Munoz, uh, Justin Cortese, Andrea, Akshi, Lauren, and the whole team at Tink, uh, and especially Jeremiah at Next Chapter Podcast. We appreciate everybody's help, guidance, suggestions, advice. We feel like we've really um, matriculated to junior year on this, and uh, it's much appreciated appreciated all your help and a special shout out to robert Capidana for uh putting us all together i hope you're doing well robert and uh super fans uh tony jazwinski thank you for bringing incredible guests both seasons and can keep bringing them on and uh special shout out to uh, sabine ah <laughs> you know who you are and um also, my daughter, who is the newest addition to the How I Got Greenlit team, uh, she helps out in post-production and runs the social uh, for us. So thank you, everybody. So without further ado, this is a very special episode. We uh, interviewed ourselves. So it's Ryan and Alex interviewing Alex and Ryan. And um, yeah, it's, it was a experiment, but I think it worked. And as this whole thing has been an experiment and i think it worked and we'll see what it uh, presents in the new year look for us probably january february of 2024 depending on uh if the movie gods are smiling down upon us and we're busy with other fun shit you know special shout out to sag if you're listening we'll put our tooth under the pillow and uh you know it's a fun one uh it's a it's silly one we talk about cartoons we talk about bullshit it's like the senior ditch day of the um of the season uh so why not and there's something poignant about um the last one being ryan and me so anyway uh without further ado please listen to the last episode of the season hi and welcome back to how i got greenlit i'm alex collegian as always with my co-host ryan gibson and today is a very special episode where it's ryan interviews alex and alex interviews ryan this is a shitty (laughs) episode this is a
2: a we're just gonna try this this a snow
1: day uh we had a (laughs) We, we don't know
2: how it's going to turn out. It's not going to be very interesting. We, we I, Who knows? We, we don't guess. even have talking
1: points. <laughs> we, don't, we had a guest uh, that had some issues. And so here we are uh, doing it. Doing it, sisters. They've asked us to do this before, they've asked us to do this before, and we haven't. And we've threatened to, and luckily, uh, neither of us we already have the time blocked out, so we figured let's go for it. But for the six uh, of you
2: listening, you get to listen to us now instead of us being interrupted by a guest every 10 minutes, which I know is our problem. So, I'm going to talk about a California gem. California, a California gem that if you're if you don't live in the California market, you can find it on the internet quite easily. It might not have any interest to you, uh, but lately, it has been my pride and joy in, in the evening time that uh, KCET or KVCR, I can't remember which. I KVCR.
1: No, I'm surprised no one
2: did that, but I guess. It was no, there's, the I think it's KVCR, uh, which is uh, another, it, or it's, it might be getting the K-VCR. letters transposed, but uh, local, uh, we were lucky enough here in Southern California to have several PBS public broadcasting stations in the evenings, Monday through Friday, they have gone into the vault and they have been playing back to back episodes of a say what you will about the man um, but he truly loved California uh, Hauser
0: <laughs>
1: California here I come right back where I started
0: from I'm going back where Bowers full of flowers bloom in the sun there each morning right at dawning and singing sing and everything a sun gives me said don't be late that's why I can hardly wait Open up that golden gate,
1: California, here I come. Hi, I'm Huel Hauser. You know, a lot of times when we're traveling around California. Huell
2: Hauser uh, and it's uh, California's Gold. And I want to talk about yeah, something that was really, really interesting. interesting. I watched an episode the other night, and I drive by it quite a bit. Um, in Culver City, kitty corner from the Sony lot which mm-hmm. used to be MGM's, MGM. MGM's lot and if you drive by there you know it's integrated into the city these these places are you drive by Fox which was well, 20, Culver 20 city. 20th, it was Culver yeah. Studio yeah 20th um, century um, Fox which is, um, a, is in you know, in the west side yeah uh, MGM which is a, you know a lot of the several studios in Burbank there's a Paramounts in Hollywood but there's this tower uh in culver city kitty corner from sony and you drive by it and it's just this odd like you know 10 story tall tower that's very thin it looks like a and it looks like a clock tower but it has windows at the top and i drive by that thing all the time i'm like what the hell is that thing i never googled it i'm gonna guess oil uh derek it was a They built that. They built that. It's actually a a museum. Uh, You would never know because it's not advertised very well. It's a museum to Culver City being um, a filmmaking uh, place. Nice. And you used to be able to go up in that tower, and Huel got to go up in that tower. It it was so funny. I drove by it. uh, I was. uh, I drove by it. And was like, God, I want to find out what that thing is. I got to remember. And then literally that night, the episode was about Culver City. And he went up in that tower. And what it was was an observation tower mm. to look down over the MGM lot. And you could watch movies being made. Oh, because so MGM cool. yeah, used to it extend. Like day and night. Right? MGM Probably. used to extend across. Um, what's the name of that? What's the name of that road that Washington the, or uh, no, the north-south road. Um, God, killing me. Venice um,
1: Washington. Uh, oh you mean um, I know what you're saying. Here's the thing. Most of LA was cheap orange groves and these guys bought soybeans too. and uh, and you know, years later, when they ate shit because TV was eating their lunch, they sold off their massive backlots uh in a real estate hustle so century city mall is built where uh you know your favorite fox movies before 1960 were shot you know planet of the apes whatever
2: right um and so that tower uh that used to be um, used to be a place where you could go and look out oh overland it used to be Overland. so. If, I, well, if you look you go, at map over uh, over the land, yeah. it, uh, if you go look at Sony Pictures, now it's more contained. It's still gigantic, but it used to be on the other side of Overland and extend mm-hmm. quite a bit. In fact, they had pictures from up there where they you could see um, excuse me d- the filming of uh, Singing in the Rain, and you could see him doing the thing yeah. on the light, you know, dancing on the light post in the rain.
1: Fun fact about that scene: uh, 102 fever, stomach flu, throwing up. It was three, his Michael two, Jordan one, game.
2: Action. It was his Michael Jordan game. The flu game. It was his Jordan game. Um, and I thought, you know, that is uh, that's really cool. That's that's so really cool. cool. If you think it's about, fi- cool. yeah, fi- uh, 20th Century. Was oh, called, uh, uh was Century City where mm-hmm. all the glitz and the glamour and the everything that back lot was? If you look at old maps of that, it was gigantic. Enormous, My, it was yeah, enormous it was like a square mile, yeah. Um, and they're like, and, sure, we can crack off a little bit. We can afford it. Yeah, yeah. And then was that was the birth of Century City, where CAA is now, and you know all the it's, it's a technological uh, masterpiece masturbation but i thought that was cool and i i I highly recommend to anyone who gives uh two shits about california at all uh to watch fuel because yeah uh, so
1: you're saying that was the first that
2: little platform was the first studio uh tour it was like an observation deck for you to watch it had nothing to do with mgm itself it was the city saying come see the the museum taking advantage of it with with mgm stuff in it and then go up and watch you know films being made yeah um and it was just cool it's just cool to see because literally because it's a like you can see all the way to the ocean you know you put a building up here uh that's of any size uh, like in Century, even downtown you can see all the way to santa monica so yeah that's uh it's it's just cool but uh yeah i i highly recommend there's visiting with huelhauser there's uh uh california's gold california gold um you know he does shows like he did one of the shows he did last night was uh foster's freeze and if you're from southern if you know southern california you've seen foster's freeze although there's not many there's not as many left um anyway i digress it's a it's a great show
1: it's and hilarious. Do you know? Uh, I watched Casablanca last night, and I was just going to watch five minutes for like medicinal purposes, and I just watched the whole damn thing again.
2: Uh, again, I, and I think I said this about um, Indiana, the first Indiana Jones movie which, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously Spielberg bid a lot of that stuff from movies from, you know, kind of that era or earlier. If you just sit down and watch, turn on an old movie, you might not really want to watch it. You might not have any intention of watching it. But if you give it any time, you're going to start to watch watch it. Black and white or not. Like, you're going to sit and watch it because most of them...
1: And so here's, I noticed a couple, you, you catch stuff. First is... Uh, I'm, I'm a big, I mean, we're both big um, comic collectors, or I was, and you, you continue. Uh, so a lot of my stuff and a lot of comic fans, it's about, you know, the, the, who drew the, you know, who the artist was, right? So one of the things I love about comic art is when a new artist sort of emerges, you try to spot like, well, who was who, who there? who did they trace or who, who did they, or who are they trying to emulate in their, um, you know, their early work. And so, uh, you know, like I'll say, Oh, this new guy, uh, John Byrne, he's a John Byrne guy. He's a Jim Lee guy. He's a whatever guy, Todd McFarlane. Guy, Todd McFarlane. And so I'm watching Michael Curtiz's direction of Casablanca and I'm picking out these, you mentioned Raiders, uh, there's 20, 30, 40 shots. In, in Spielberg's career from Casablanca, there's like 100 shots that he stole.
2: Uh, it's funny you bring that up because last night I was talking to an, a director friend and um, he sent me two pictures of like a, pi- a guy on top of a pig kneading the meat. And he uh, he's like a, a Chinese guy. Uh, and I go... I have no idea what this is from. And he's like, um, uh, Fallen Angels. And I was like, oh, Fallen Angels. I go, that's funny you mentioned that, because we just recently, well, within the last six months, watched um, Chungking Express. That's right. My point of this was, Car wai Wong, who's the director of that movie, he was born, I think, in the late, like, 56 or 57 if you watch his movies uh you know makes him late 20s early 30s when movies like blade runner came out and if you watch his lighting and what he's done he made movies shorts before that but when you look at his lighting and how you know his emotion and how he shoots stuff um it you you could see some you could see some comparisons to to this to how like where directors get their eye and i said to him because this, this director a certain director has a project coming up and i said you know um what are your like what are your two two or three what other what, what are you trying to make this story look like and he's mm-hmm. like well i have to get back you know i have to get back to you on that and i was like that's a real question though like that's a real like mm-hmm. Who are you classically going to bite off of? Like, what's your what's your what's your Denny's number two on this film?
1: And it's just a thing. It's what artists do, and certainly that you can look in the painting world and be like, well, you know, when so and so started out, they were really trying to just be like a poor man's blank, and but then they found their own style later. It's just a way that it, it it's like a kid in his bedroom learning uh nirvana or before that rolling stones it's 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 what it's how you get started and then eventually you find your own voice we covet um,
2: what we see every day
1: (laughs) yeah but um yeah it was it was cool to see it's like okay you know the funny thing about that
2: i just realized is that you know something about those movies were big productions Lots mm-hmm. of trades, craftsmen, lots of craftsmen, but also technologically speaking, you're talking about big film cameras that were yeah. not very mobile and they had to fucking dance with the camera. Yeah. So that and meant blocking. Did. And back in the day, they had time to rehearse and block and they had to do that because they didn't have some dude who's like strapped a you know, 80 pound rig to his body and can move anywhere with the camera. And I'm talking like an easy rig or a steady cam. And they had to, the shots that they got were beautiful because they were planned and the action was planned and the dance was planned. And that, um, that was out of necessity because otherwise they were wasting film and wasting time and time is time is money. And I think that when Spielberg was right on the cusp, because the study cam had come out, but it wasn't uh, ubiquitous like it is today. And I think he, there's, there's a reason why it's because those guys had found beautiful shots, and Spielberg was like, I, "You only have you only have two, so many chances for you to director's jail, so I better get it right. So I'm going to take from from masters before him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I watched um, Castaway last night. Um, Goodie movie goody. Zemeckis. Robert Zemeckis. The movie is a bit older. There's a scene at the end of Castaway uh, when he goes to visit his wife who he is uh, the famous ending where he comes back, right? Right. He comes back and and he goes to visit her in a rainstorm and they go inside and they're having this very deeply emotional conversation without words. And there's a point where Zemeckis moves the camera. She's on an Island making coffee in the kitchen. Uh, Hank's, is doing the Tom Hanks head Bob and not really and looking (laughs) uncomfortable and not knowing where to stand. (laughs) And they do this move where she moves to him past the Island. The camera follows her and then it sits while she picks up a picture. She says a few lines, there's a cut uh, or there's no cut, but Hanks is there. She moves back around the camera moves out. And in that move, you real, in my mind, I was like, Oh my God. They had, he had to move around the camera to get that mm-hmm. move was a dance. Like to get that yeah. oh, particular yeah. camera move was a serious dance. And I was like, God, Zemeckis, that was awesome. Like, cause it wasn't, you could tell it wasn't steady cam. It wasn't, it, it wasn't any of that. It wasn't an easy rig. It, it probably was Just on track.
1: Radley dolly. Yeah. It was Barry, probably on track artisan, it, or artisans. it wasn't on track. They were in a kitchen and, artisans working together like a band like just a dolly rig team and a dp and an operator uh, plus the actors dancing with them but just that team getting that thing and the lighting
2: like you have to have lighting for all of those you have to light it for all those positions
1: right and and they didn't have a monitor the guy had to go with the you know pieces of tape like he would look hit at your his mark. Floor. Yeah, you think an actor at the has floor. to hit their mark.
2: Think about all. Think about the eight grips behind the or the the eight dolly grips behind the scenes who have to stop yeah. a three hundred pound dolly on yeah. on a mark. Yeah, and also not make it shake. And also like
1: so smooth. But I think the heaviness of it helped. But a lot of it is you're so that entire movie was all on a backlot, which means. Guys showed up to work, gals showed up to work, and they were like, where am I going? Go to stage six. You're working on this one called Casablanca. Ah, whatever. All right. See
2: you at lunch. And literally like 800 people descended to make one movie. I'm sure. I bet Casablanca well, probably had 500. I bet I, you, artists. There's a lot of
1: extras. That's what's cool. Is you, Like when they're doing those cafe scenes and they're doing the street scenes, it's literally all backlot. So uh, it, it's just really cool to see. And it's one of those movies that shouldn't have worked. I mean, people talk about it. And I guess I'm breaking my own rule of like, let's not talk about the same fucking 10 movies. But...
2: Well, look, know, Principal. <laughs> that, so just, you know, quick Google search, but, you know, this is the yeah. way we inform each other now. We don't even remember our own phone numbers. Principal photography began on May 25th, 1942, ending on August 3rd. That's a good run. The film was shot entirely at Warner Brothers Studios in Burbank, with the exception of one sequence at Van Nuys Airport in Los Angeles. Yep.
1: Which is the final kiss off. And you know the
2: story about that, right?
1: No, please tell. They had a model airplane that was like a one third scale. Speaking about the cabin that you burned in that one movie, I think it was one quarter scale, um, you know, DC three, the plane that they get on at the end. And so uh, they hired um, little people so that it was in the background and the little people were the same scale as the model. So it looks like, uh, you know, um, six foot workers are like fueling it but really it's two and a half foot people
2: are you ready elsa
0: yes i'm ready firing You'll miss
2: that plane. Uh, you know, it just made me, it, again, just popped up into my head. But I'm sure Spielberg does this when they get on the float plane to fly over from, I don't know if it's in Raiders or maybe, it might be in the second one. By the way, cameo by, um, oh God, who's the comedian? Dan Aykroyd.
0: Ah, Dr. Jones, I'm a Weber. I spoke with your assistant. Uh, We've managed to secure three seats. But there might be a slight inconvenience, as you will be riding on a cargo ball of life poultry.
1: Yes, when they're at Cafe Obi-Wan and they make it uh, in the second film, uh, Indiana Jones and the uh, Temple of Doom, they uh, the opening, you know, the famous sort of James Bond opening action sequence, the end of another movie we didn't see for the Indiana Jones franchise. It was, um, yes, there was a Brit who was uh, helping Indy get on a plane and make his escape, and it was uh, Aykroyd who... Uh, They were all kind of friends, right? Wasn't Aykroyd also in 1941? Like he knew Spielberg and they'd done stuff. By the way, a A movie I I loved as a kid for some reason. 1941? Yes. Yeah. Uh, 1940. You want to talk about B-List? Like there's one for you. Historical bomb. I like it. I like it. I like and not it just I, I, I don't I, I mean I think some of it is oh we're that age and we saw it and da da da. But I just like that Spielberg um tried something. He wanted to do a screwball comedy.
0: December nineteen forty one. The California coast. The Japanese had just bombed Pearl Harbor. A nation's heroes ah! were on the alert.
1: Look you guys, are jack's up.
0: The dummy's right. <laughs> California could be next. Did I, that? I don't know. This is war. Oh. Come on, come on. I'm gonna
2: I'm gonna just put 1941. Belushi, treat Williams. Uh, Eddie Deason, which if you've watched any movie from the 70s, he was always played the geeky guy.
1: Um, Eddie Deason, yes. Robert Stack, uh, John Candy, Christopher
2: Lee, Tim Matheson, Ned Beatty.
1: Christopher Lee.
2: Like, come on, man. What a cast. Yeah. Mickey
1: Rourke. that's a high high recommend. Mickey Rourke, like you blink and you miss him. Mickey Rourke.
2: By the way, Frank McRae. And if you don't know who Frank McRae is, uh, watch any uh, police movie from like the late seventies to mid to late eighties. He always played the angry police lieutenant. Get
0: your butts in here!
2: Like he was that. He's that guy.
1: Yeah. That, but that's those, you know, that's the fun of those character actors. I mean, even like getting Robert Stack to come in on that uh, was that that was before Airplane. I feel like that showed audiences, like, oh, this guy's got some. Uh, Seventy nine. <sighs> it was within a year or two, but I love Robert Stack in it. Um, he wants to see Dumbo. Right. Yeah. No. It was.
2: It was. It was. It was before
1: uh, Airplane. Nice. Yeah, that's another one I would definitely want to rewatch. watch uh,
2: I just don't I mean, think it... I, you know, the thing is, and I... You know, they play Saving Private Ryan a lot. And yeah. it's hard for me to watch. I remember going to see it's it in the theater. It's not a great
1: watcher It's very traumatic.
2: It's very traumatic. For, it's very... It, like, it's the not ending, a fun I, like,
1: the, oh, yay, my fave. Like, the the like, ending
2: like, for me is very hard to watch. Watching them yeah. all get, spoiler alert, yeah. killed. Um, murdered, and then um by Z Germans, and then um, uh, up them, up em. I, I don't think that people. I don't think I'm not sure. I don't want to generalize or broad brush brush it, but I think watching movies about World War II, I don't know how much they resonate with modern audiences anymore. And that movie was made in '98. Uh, they wouldn't play it
1: if people didn't watch it. I think that there's well, a- they
2: play it on TNT. So you're talking about people at home on linear. You're, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It was, mm-hmm. I think, it was on mm-hmm. BBC America. But anyway, I, yeah, um, Casablanca. Do yourself a favor. Just go out there if you're. Just give a movie. A, just give a movie a chance. Like even a like, turn on uh, Turner Classics, or. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're lucky enough to have the Criterion collection, the Criterion app, watch something that you just, you have no idea what it is. Just watch, read read a little synopsis about it. Make sure it's got something of uh, that you're interested in. And I think this goes against, didn't we have a guest on recently? Didn't we do a show recently where they were like, don't waste your time watching crappy.
1: Well, no, they said, uh, you know. Who said and, this? And, and, was this
2: uh, oh, this was a, a Brooks. Brooks Elms.
1: Yeah. Uh, our, our friend Brooke, Brooks Elms, who uh, is, is a writer, but he kind of deconstructs films and, and scripts for uh, his clients. He helps coach people. But um, yeah, his opinion was you're not disrespecting uh, in this era. You're not disrespecting someone by... If if you're not resonating with a, a show or a film, you're not disrespecting the filmmakers by just you know switching off. But maybe and, uh, to his point, I mean, I if guess, it
2: ma- if it made it on Turner Classics, it's already got the seal of approval. Uh,
1: it's become a high rotation, and I, I I think it's a dad movie. And dad movies are are, are Turners like
2: Wait I, Butter. Do you I don't think they're dad movies because they play you know. What do they put I think there's the I think there's a lot of love story romantic stories on Turner Classics. Yeah. Uh oh no,
1: you're talking about TCM? Yeah, Turner Classics no i feel like people uh i private ryan goes on like tbs and like no but i'm talking
2: about if it makes it on turner classics i'm talking about like black and white you know turner classics just got a reprieve from you know the ceo because spielberg and everybody were like don't
1: cut don't kill it yeah don't cut it please but i'll tell you what i was looking for one froggy evening
2: do you know what that is uh, I've heard of it, but I I I I couldn't speak with any e.
1: Hello my baby, hello my honey, hello my rack on Send me a kiss by wire. Baby, my heart's on fire. Oh yeah. So do we know that? Does do our does our audience <laughs> resonate with any of that I, I, look I mean uh, this
2: is a this is a real problem. this is a problem that affects me right now, and it's that my I, I don't allow my son to watch a lot of modern uh cartoons. Like nothing Why? on Nick, but, toys, but the one thing I like do let him watch, commercials? allow him to watch, were all yeah. the old Bugs Bunny Warner Brothers stuff. <laughs> and and those James all Mary Melodies. Those all got faded off of Max,
1: and um, they own them. You 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 uh, you took the words out of my mouth. What I was going to say was, is I have uh, my girlfriend is not from our country and has different pop culture influences so she had seen some of looney tunes from when she was a kid but not all of them and so i'm like i made a michigan J. frog joke which i want to do and she's like i don't know who that is so i'm like no problem i have max they have all the looney tunes library they literally you know? own and so every warner Bro- they're warner brothers they yeah. own and the so but Vault. here's what they did here's what they did and here's why they did it they cherry pick the vault for the ones you want to see. So, one froggy evening, gone. Uh, Duck Amuck, which, for those out there that are not complete fucking nerds, Duckamuck Amuck is a famous uh, Chuck Jones. Is this is where he gets his one beat blown evening. off
2: backwards continually. And it's, to-
1: it's, a, it's a postmodern kind of trip out of. What if Bugs Bunny took over the cartoon and Donald, uh, 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 uh he draws, um,
2: he ends up drawing Daffy all is the
1: stuck in the cartoon yep. that Donald draws,
2: you know what I'm talking about? I, I, we were up until three months ago, we had gone through every season from the start to modern times of every Warner brothers until they got rid sure. of it. Cause they just, they just divested from that catalog at the, in the spring so we had spent, like, the last year watching it.
1: So you were smart, because I did that, too. When I found they had all of them, I literally would just watch for hours. But I just sort of, like, let it just spin out. So, like, of course, I got to see um, Ho, Ha-Ha, Turn, Perry, yeah, Perry. Dodge, Rust. Spin. You know that one, right?
2: Hmm. Let's see now. something to miss here. Hmm. I'll run through it. Ha, ho, ha! ha, Guard, turn, parry, dodge, spin,
0: ha! Thrust. Got it. Now then. Ho, ha! ha guard, turn, parry, dodge, spin.
2: Like I said, all of them.
1: My yeah. son so finds that, them. That, my, that son the, final, my son. Wait, I can tie in Michael Curtiz. So yeah, exactly. Uh The the so they did a Robin Hood uh, Looney Tunes where it's Daffy Duck is Robin. Friar Tuck is, is Porky Pig and um, they it's one
2: of the best. Actually, of isn't all time, isn't Daffy right? Duck uh, the Sheriff of Nottingham and Bugs Bunny is That was a different one. There was a different one. The
1: the classic Ho ha ha one that he's dueling, he's dueling uh Porky Pig. There was a subgenre of Daffy Duck cartoons for a couple years where the premise was Porky was
2: the straight man.
1: Yeah, who, they go
2: on vacation. Uh, the one with the I think ants they went to. Or he goes a, on. No, he goes on a picnic or a duck hunt, and then right. And, and then, Porky's
1: like you silly goose, and he's sort of like above it all. And Daffy continues to like spaz out about shit, right? So this was one of those. He was like the chilled out uh, Porky Pig, um, making fun of Daffy for. Uh, his various, you know, failed attempts, almost roadrunner-like, because they were like trying to to steal from the rich and give to the poor, and so Daffy would um, get in a tree and swing on a branch, and then he would, you know, slam into a tree a la uh, Wiley e. Coyote. So it was interesting kind of mix of stuff over there. But that's what I mean. Or like, uh, what's Opera Doc? Like that's, everybody knows that one, right? Where it's the Is that kill, kill the rabbit, rabbit, kill the rabbit yeah. Is that one still on there? Or is that gone too? Nope, they pulled it. That's what I'm saying is what they did was they cherry picked that giant ass library of like a thousand cartoons and they took out the ones we know. The quotable well, ones, the classics. Where are they now? Uh, I think they're packaging them to license to other entities. And, and, part and of by, windowing- but by the
2: way, by the way, when we would come home after school in grade school, the we Looney Tunes rabbit. played, uh, you would sit down and watch Looney Tunes in front of the CR, you know, in front of the giant right. wood grain. The big, faux the big wood console. Grain. The big, yeah, the console. Uh, I'm going to also, I'm going to take this moment since we're talking about uh, cartoons. Uh, I'm not going to know the name of the cartoon. Mm -hmm. It does not have any, uh, uh, it has two off brand characters that were in the droopy dog series. One of them is a wolf magician. The other one is the dog who always with the big bulldog that was always with droopy. He is an Mm -hmm. opera singer. And he kicks mm-hmm. the the magician is like, hey, can I open for you? The premise is the magician comes to the opera house and say, can I open for you for, for with my magic? The dog kicks him out in the classic, pick him up by the tail, and, but the snobby you know. way, right? Because he's like, oh, yeah, you're how they're here. You. Yeah. And so the uh, the wolf comes back and freezes the uh, conductor of the opera, takes him underground, steals yes. his hair, comes back, and it is. Uh, there yes. are now some racially insensitive moments in that cartoon. Yeah, in that, where he but it is, like the person. Uh, it is still to this Asian, day uh, one of my favorites. Yes,
1: it is still funny. And so just so you know, all of these cartoons that we've mentioned um, in terms of directors, like they're Chuck Jones. Oh. Yes, so I would put him in the same category as uh, any other like legendary filmmaker of the 20th century. I mean, he, it is
2: called he innovated cartoons. I just found it. I can't. Cartoons. God, Google, making us yeah. lazy every day. It is called Magical Maestro, and yeah. it actually is a Tex Avery. Um, oh, Tex Avery, yes, the other
1: genius. So Tex Avery was the guy who did all. So in that era, he was. Um, Tom and Jerry. I mean, they all kind of did a lot of different stuff, but Tex Avery is known for the Tom and Jerry. That bulldog was a Tom and Jerry character. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and uh, and it was weird. They were like, well, why don't we just make him
2: walk on butch, two legs and he's an dog. opera singer?
1: But, butch the butch dog. dog. Yeah. So um, Avery did uh, some of the ones we mentioned too. Yeah. Yeah, like, and so his his
2: his producing his partner. is that
1: that wacky uh, if you saw the mask uh he was a big um what they call squash and stretch artist meaning yeah. like when you see a uh you know they had the famous one with the wolves when they saw uh, a pretty wo- uh, woman, They, their eyes would pop out and snap out. A lot of the Roger Rabbit uh, physical humor is coming from the Tex Avery.
2: And I'm, 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 as I'm reading this, I'm happy to say that in 1993, Magical Maestro was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the nice. Library of Congress. Nice. That's freaking awesome. Yeah, and uh, Tex Avery's producing partner was Fred Quimby. They, they all work for Metro, uh, for MGM. You see
1: them. Yeah, MGM. And what I loved about that, speaking of they were on the Culver lot, is they would say uh, at the end of those, uh, or at the end of the credits of those, they would say uh, made in, or at the end of the short, they would say made in Hollywood, USA. Yes. And, and so when I moved out here, I'm like, oh, Hollywood, USA. <laughs>
2: uh, okay. Now, this, we're going to, I think this is a good point to bring it out to round the story all together. Let's go back to Culver City and Hewell Hauser. Culver City, the reason why Culver City became Culver City and that you see on certain shows like Jeopardy filmed in Culver City, it Mm -hmm. was tradition if a show was made in Los Angeles, everyone put Made in Hollywood USA on it. And Culver City got its hair in a bunch I don't know if that's a thing or not, but they, oh, got, that they got they got upset owned, about uh, it. The name Hollywood and USA they, or something. They or? forced <laughs> the studios to put "Filmed in Culver City, California" on it instead and, of saying Hollywood. Yeah, and they were pissed a, that they were pissed, and that was a part oh. of that talking about Culver City is that they and they, they, and they like pulled their
1: permits. Like, we're, listen, guys, we're going to make the, your life very difficult, Hector. If you studio. don't start crediting us. Yeah, so that's credits. why you'll
2: see Culver. I think you see it at Jeopardy, wow. Jeopardy and some of the game shows. But yeah, to I'd round that back that. out, that's why yeah. it says filmed it in Culver City, California. Hollywood, it used to be Hollywood, California. USA. Hollywood, whether, USA you Burbank, right. whether you were in Burbank, uh, whether wow. you were in out on the ranch, anywhere that was filmed in the zone was uh, Hollywood, USA. The TMZ. And then Culver City said, no.
1: No. I think that's the end of our... Uh, Uh, Thus endeth the lesson about obscure obscurities in the um, mid the early to mid uh, 20th century studio animation.
2: Right. Well, I was going to get I uh, was almost I I was I thought it was a good time to stop because I wanted to bring in some of the things they've done with Tom and Jerry. So I thought it was probably a good idea not to go down that road. Tom and or Jerry. Yeah. With the replacement um, of the um, mom in tom and jerry cartoons oh it's not a
1: mom but it's a mammy no no i know uh yeah look i mean that's the other thing uh problematic all of them were problematic because our society was problematic there are disney cartoons with horrible racist caricatures in them they there are bugs bunny cartoons with horrible racist stereotypes and all kinds of retrograde shit. And of course, yeah, famously, Tom and Jerry takes place in a household. And the only human that you see with these animals running around, you know, performing, you know, crimes against each other is a a pair of African-American feet with house uh, shoes on. House with shoes. house shoes on. And, and an apron. Uh, in, a, in a very unfortunate accent. And let's let's just remember, for all you uh, maple syrup fans out there, Aunt Jemima and sort of the caricature that that represented. It was very much like that. You know, and by the way, MGM makers of Gone with the Wind. They basically took the uh, Butterfly McQueen character from uh, Gone with the Wind and Absolutely. put her in an American household for for her to swat the cat with a broom and
2: stuff. And, to, so, and here, I'm going to bring it all around weirdness, again. Weirdness, yes. Of how we all bite off of each other as we find our way. That magical maestro cartoon made at MGM ended up influencing Benny Hill and his hair gag that he used to do was spinning his hair was directly bitten off of magical (laughs) of that cartoon (laughs) by Tex Avery. Uh, Of course it was. And I think that that just shows the influence of, look, if something's good, you (laughs) use it. Steal it. it. Yeah, steal it. Yeah. So like, you
1: know, in the case of Casablanca, it was the – uh let's show a map with a dotted line (laughs) right
2: exactly and (laughs) And for any movie yeah that involved crazed foreign travel because for an american to think that like to go from let's say new york to get to london you had to go to iceland first you know you or greenland newfoundland greenland, and you had to connect and, and like you had refuel. to keep going dot, yeah. so any anything of age that had to show the great adventure of traveling by plane to get to the middle east to go on that search for the mummy is like there's the map with the burnt edges and the dotted mm-hmm. line all that stuff. and the musical yeah, score all, the transition casablanca the interstitial
1: curtis and and of the era i mean it wasn't like he invented that stuff it was just it's a throwback and it's funny how the, the the filmmakers that you and me and you know lucas and spielberg and all those people they were just they were just doing their childhood right you could do worse is, yeah and Absolutely. then eventually you turn into the maestro. Oh, my God, the maestro. I don't know if I'm allowed to tell a story, but I'll tell you one off mic about the maestro. And I was laughing because it actually, the guy is telling me a maestro story. So for the fans of the show, maestro for us is our sort of private uh, joke. It's like when a director goes beyond the valley of like criticism, and you get four hour movies, and you get, uh, you know, first cuts. And did you see no that one...
2: new, uh, that new uh, what uh, what's his name, uh, sci fi movie has like a seven hour cut, and they're gonna release it. Did you see that? Sci fi. Dan the Snyder, the new uh, whatever technological of. Uh, you know futuristic movie he's coming out with that everyone's talking about
1: dan Snyder, the maker not dan of like Snyder, not dan Snyder. and saved by the bomb.
2: uh, uh. Yeah. Who's the guy who did um, uh, Super Friends? <laughs> Batman versus... the worst. Batman Zack Snyder. Zack Snyder.
1: Has uh, two movies coming out called Rebel Moon 1 and 2. Yes. Right. So and they're going to... He's going to release... There's, rele- hour there's
2: actually like an eight-hour super he's cut. He's
1: preparing to have a super
2: cut already. It's already... Like, there, there, it's, it. it's
1: happening. He's or going... Or is that... Is that the version that
2: we're getting, or is he no, It's going to be an additional hour six hour, an additional eight hour like version. Other Megillah. I never watched that, it because it turned me off so badly. You mean the black and white Justice League? I never watched. I never watched the the four by it. three. I dug it.
1: Yeah, there's something to it. I, I don't think it's all worth all the fuss
2: that. We're Why talking did about he it now, want to do it in four by three? Though I don't understand that. IMAX.
1: It was an all IMAX black and white R D movie. The four by three was uh, isn't that IMAX uh, I ratio?
2: Know. I don't know. It does that doesn't sound familiar to me. <laughs> Is that wrong? All right. What have we learned? What have we learned, Greenlighters? We've learned that the four fan we've entertained maybe four fans for an hour. Maybe uh, watch your Turner Classic movies and classic patients and
1: the uh, cartoons. The physically, the physically impaired who can't get up to shut us off. Thanks for listening.
2: The, <laughs> the, the broken, the broken, the the, the broken the, the people uh, the all body
1: cast for for that unfortunate skiing accident. Thanks for listening.
2: Um, there's a lot of options out there. Uh, they're definitely and, better than this uh, dirty donkey show that we're running here. But uh, dirty donkey show. I mean, sorry, not dirty donkey show. That's a different thing. Dirty uh, sideshow circus that we're running here. But um, anyway. Uh
1: I li- I like Dirty Donkey show uh, because that's a, then it's that's like from Godfather connotation. Hey, oh, here he comes, Mr. Fabulous. Look, Superman, there's Superman. You know, I want to see that 4 hour cut where you actually see the live sex show in Cuba cuz you know he shot it.
2: Oh, God. oh, you're talking about Godfather. Here he
1: comes. Here he comes. There's Superman.
2: And that that's when he realizes his brother has betrayed him,
1: right? That's right while they're watching the guy while they're watching uh i think a,
2: a, yeah, a uh, a it yeah let's not we don't i'm gonna add it though um, all right that's that's all we got this afternoon that's our game
1: show man or donkey
2: hey you know what though let us know if you do like listening uh, to us Babylon about bullshit and uh we are prone to do that anyway so maybe we'll start turning on the mics and doing it anyway so let us know <laughs> All right. For Alex Collegian as the host, and I am Ryan Gibson, the co-host, this has been a rare episode of How I Got Greenlit, a in-depth look at what Alex and I talk about on a daily basis, which is a bunch <laughs> of stupid shit. When the mics aren't on, stupid yeah. shit. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. All
1: right. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, listeners. Bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. We certainly did, as we've enjoyed uh, both seasons of our show. This is our last episode of the season, as I mentioned, uh, of season two. Thank you for sticking around. And if you want to get more, more of that special something that you need while we're on hiatus, please subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. That will let us know... Uh, how fast and how hard we need to get back to work if you tell us that you're listening because we want to make more please reach out and say hello at how i got greenlit on instagram tiktok and x and you can also email us at how i got greenlit at gmail.com and uh please you know If if you're jonesing, come to the archive at howigotgreenlit.com, And uh, we will be back soon. So please enjoy your holidays. And if your Christmas dinner starts to take a turn for the worst, you can just uh, clandestinely slip in your ear pods or unaffiliated non-branded ear listening devices and go ahead and just bug out to an early an early vintage episode that you hadn't, you know, discovered yet. Like the one that we did live at the, the Bowery, the Bowery ballroom, the, the, our, our early show at CBGBs, man. Uh, there's a, there's a couple of, um, bootlegs that somebody found recently, man. You'll dig it. Anyway, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for, uh, listening and, uh, we appreciate it. And, uh, thank you Ryan Gibson for, uh, all your hard work and it's it's been a pleasure so i'm your host alex collegian on behalf of my co-host ryan gibson we are how i got greenlit thank you
0: porn satan drugs therapy It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. I'm comedian Kiki Anderson and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table, featuring
1: conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics. They all help me figure out the who,
0: what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. And decent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. Next chapter podcasts.